This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thank you for making your way to Lost Mountain this morning to worship with us. We are going to continue in our message series through the book of Luke, and I am going to pick up essentially where Matt left off last week. Now, I know that Matt kind of obliterated a lot of your view of what Christmas is supposed to be, and so I thought I'd piggyback off of that a little bit this morning in hopes that you'll stick with me through the end, and you'll continue to stick with us, even though the nativity might not be exactly what you were anticipating in a way that it lines itself up completely with the Scriptures. But before I get into that, I, wonder, I really want to say that I actually like the format that we're doing this year in regards to we're not going to necessarily preach the traditional Christmas texts when Christmas rolls around. Like we took care of that last week and we're going to continue making our way through the book of Luke. But the fact that we, we talked about the birth of Christ last week uh, really kind of sets a pace for me. I don't know what it does for you, but for me specifically, to, to further develop my sense of anticipation of the recalling of the initial coming of Christ, because we live on the opposite end of that, right? We're anticipating the consummation of all things when Christ comes again to establish his kingdom and to rule and reign for eternity as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so the fact that we went ahead and not necessarily got Luke chapter 2 out of the way, but set it in its rightful place to anticipate everything that God wants to accomplish in our lives personally and in our lives as a church throughout these coming months to help give us a fresh perspective of what Christmas really means. So with that said, New Testament commentator David Garland says this, Christmas lives throughout the year when followers share the gift of knowledge of salvation with others. Give to those who beg out of their need. Give the hungry something to eat and proclaim that it is the Father's good pleasure to give, to, to give the kingdom to those who believe and follow Christ. And so that's it. I mean, the, the idea of Christmas lives within us as we set our lives and orchestrate our lives in such a way to accomplish what we see Jesus accomplishing throughout the Gospels. And so that's just something to think about uh, as we begin to uh, consider today's text. If you'll go ahead and make your way to Luke chapter 2, we are going to be in verses 21 through 35 specifically this morning. And what I want to do is to read our text, and then we'll pray together, and we'll start walking through it. So I'll give you just a couple of more seconds to make your way there. Luke says, beginning in chapter 2, verse 21, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, 
He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning that in this place, in this time, we can sit under the instruction of your holy word. I thank you for every person that are in these chairs in this moment. Let us not forget in these moments that we spend together that your spirit is with us, that you are comforting the hearts of those that are having a difficult time, that we're able to experience uh, gratitude in our hearts for what you have done. Perhaps there's a person in here that is still questioning everything about Christianity. I pray for that person as well. That you would begin to soften hearts of stones and transform them into hearts of flesh. That you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive this word this morning. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus himself. Amen. Okay, so picking up right in verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, if you think back to chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, Gabriel, Gabriel the angel visits Mary and provides instructions as to who Jesus will be and what his name is supposed to be. Gabriel mentions to 
Mary, that you are to call his name Jesus. We understand that Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation or God saves. And so it's this uh, Greek form of this Hebrew word where we get an understanding right from the get-go, just in the name of Jesus, about what God is going to accomplish. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is Yahweh is salvation. He is God saves. In verse 22, and when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now think about Mary and Joseph for a second. They're, they're doing something that is consistent with the law at the particular time. As you'll notice, uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, listen to this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, it's interesting to notice here that Mary and Joseph are actually consistently abiding in what the law of Moses requires. And so they're fulfilling everything that is necessary in order to present Jesus. And so when the, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem. They're probably in Bethlehem at the time. Jerusalem is a five-mile trip. Jerusalem sets on a hill. So when it says up to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem because in the ancient Near East, that's where it was located. It was up the hill. So people are going up to Jerusalem all the time. In verse 23, as it is written, the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This is exactly out of Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. You're going to see in these passages that everything is consistent with the Old Testament. And so, again, Mary and Joseph are doing what is required by Levitical law, by Mosaic law. And so every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Listen to what Luke is doing here. Okay, he, he's going back to the Old Testament again, specifically in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, that is speaking of a woman's purification after childbirth has taken place. And Leviticus 12.8 says, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. We're of the understanding right here that Jesus doesn't make a grand entrance into an earthly family of notoriety. Mary and Joseph are poor people. And to further kind of obliterate your view of a, of a commercialized Christmas, let's think about this for a second. Okay, so Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day 
And then there's an additional 33 to 35 days that are required to elapse before Mary can consider herself to be pure and she can take her gift to the temple. And yet the text says that they're going to offer pigeons or turtle doves. Now, what is missing from this? I would venture to say that Mary and Joseph have yet to acquire some particular gifts that they received from men from the East, namely the gold and the frankincense and myrrh. They were not in possession of those things. Otherwise, they could most likely have afforded a lamb in order to sacrifice. And so, when I went home last week and smashed all of my snow globes of the nativity, these particular verses began to go around in my mind like, okay, that that means that um, when we see these three wise men, which Scripture doesn't indicate there were three of them, when we see these wise men kneeling before Jesus in current nativity scenes, offering their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, that's not consistent with the Scripture at all. Chances are, this occurred three to five years after Jesus was born, before these men from the East came and presented their gifts to Jesus. And so Jesus does not enter the scene, like I said, into a family of notoriety. These are poor people, and all they have to offer is what they offer for sacrifice because they could not afford a lamb. And so picking back up, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Think about what Luke is communicating here. We understand that Luke has a two-volume set, one by his own name, and the other one is the book of Acts. Something that you will notice if you consistently read through the book of Luke and through the book of Acts is there is a a dominant couple of themes of the Holy Spirit and salvation. Luke emphasizes these things over and over again throughout the gospel of Luke and through the book of Acts as well. And when it says the Holy Spirit was upon him, at this point, obviously, Pentecost has not occurred. The Holy Spirit had not come upon people. So this is like Old Testament writing, right? When we would read of the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson. This is the idea. The Holy Spirit has come upon this particular prophet in such a way to where he is of an understanding that some things are about to happen. Because think about what is going on in the nation of Israel at this time. We have the close of the Old Testament. We have the beginning of the New Testament. There is a 400-year gap known as the intertestamental period where God is completely silent. He is not speaking at all. And so when we come across an obscure figure like Simeon, he's waiting. He's waiting. He's well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures in such a way to where he believes beyond the shadow of a doubt 
that the consolation of Israel is coming. And God honors that. God honors that by the Holy Spirit coming upon him, and he is going to confirm some things that this prophet will see before he is allowed to depart from this life. And so Simeon is waiting with an intense desire for the promised one. He's a loyal Jew, well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures, with an understanding that God has promised a better future for his people, Israel. And while Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, we today in the metro Atlanta, Georgia area in 2022. We're waiting for the consolation of all things, are we not? We're waiting for the return of Jesus, the final return, where everything that is sad is becoming untrue. We're looking for those things. So when you think about certain things that are going on in your life specifically, And I don't know the weight of what you carry in this place, but maybe the marriage is over when the job won't come through, when the addiction is more than you can handle, when you're more angry than loving toward your children. I'm guilty of that one. when the sickness consumes all of your thoughts. We have a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I confidently resting in the assurance that I will enter into the eternal kingdom of God upon the return of Christ? So question number one I want to consider with you this morning is am I confident in the waiting? Am I confident in the coming of Christ initially and the coming of Christ for eternity? Am I resting everything about my life, everything that I carry in the certainty that Christ is coming? He's come initially, he's coming again. And how Am I waiting? Am I asking the Lord to consistently sustain me in the waiting? That's a question I want us to to consider and to grapple with as we continue to move throughout this text. So that's a little bit about Simeon's wait. Let's go ahead and move on to verses 27 through 32. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. There it is again. Luke is emphasizing the Holy Spirit directing Simeon. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Let's stop right there for a second. I don't know what picture you have of the temple 
in your mind when you think about the temple or when you're reading through the scriptures, but the temple is no ordinarily small place. Okay, the, the temple is actually a vast structure. And you can look at maps in your study Bibles or you can look them up online, uh, ancient Near Eastern Temple of Jerusalem or things like that. But the particular area where Mary would have taken Jesus to offer everything that she needed to offer for him specifically and his consecration, that was an area of the temple that could easily house about 6,000 worshipers at a time. And so think about this. Potentially, when Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple, there could easily have been 6,000 people going here and there. And yet, the Spirit directs Simeon in such a way to where he is brought right to them. So this is supernatural activity that is fueled by the Holy Spirit that is occurring because Simon goes right, Simeon goes right to these people that he had never met before. And so he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I was thinking about this this morning and I, I, and I was wondering what Mary and Joseph might have been thinking when they see this old man just rush up to them in the temple and snatch the infant Jesus out of their hands and, and immediately begin to bless God for everything that has happened. But then I think also of what they've just kind of endured. Because the, the angel Gabriel visits Mary, lets her know everything that's going to happen, then it actually happens. She conceives by the Holy Spirit, the eternal Son of God, and so can you imagine Joseph just, yeah, I'm not even surprised at this point. Snatch him up, do whatever you want to. I mean, nothing surprises him at this point, right? And so I, I'm just playing out this scenario in my mind, and you just see this man that they've never met before just come and instantly swoop Jesus up into his arms and say these words. It's straight out of Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. See, we have Simeon's testimony of physically seeing Jesus, the humble child, as, a, as assurance that we, in fact, will see Him when He returns. He's the risen and reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. And he doesn't even care at this point that now that he's essentially seen the Lord's Christ, he's going to die. He doesn't have to see everything that will come as Jesus grows and he begins his public ministry and he begins to perform miracles all the way up to his resurrection. His literal conquering 
and defeating of sin and death and rising again. He doesn't have to see those things because a promise has been confirmed in his life. Now, now, I, I've, I've beheld your salvation with my very physical eyes. And that's enough for me. That's enough. Now you can let your servant depart in peace. So there's another question I want us to think about this morning. Like Simeon, am I captivated by God's salvation? Do do we have the same attitude that Simeon has when, when we think about who Christ is and the difference that he has made in our lives and continues to make in our lives? Are we captivated by God's salvation? And and what I want to do as we continue this morning, I want to give proper definition to the terminology that we're using because uh, I fear that a lot of these words that we use, like salvation or like justification, like we've heard them so often, especially us churchgoers that have been in church our entire lives, that we forget the weight and significance of their meaning if we can define them at all. Oh yeah, justification, I've heard that word. Okay, what does it mean? Like when, when, when Simeon says that I've seen your salvation, he is literally saying to the Lord, I have seen your deliverance. I have seen your deliverance for everything that I have been waiting for. And it's going to take place by this child that I hold in my arms. I've seen your deliverance and it's enough for me. I've beheld your salvation and he's captivated by it. And my question to us is, are we captivated by God's deliverance of ourselves? We're wrapped up in the bondage of sin. And Jesus deposits himself into sinful humanity, offering the deliverance that you and I need. We have to be captivated by God's salvation. And it's in the person and the work of Jesus himself. Am I confident in the waiting? Regardless of situation, regardless of circumstance. And am I captivated by God's salvation? So verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. I turned 40 on September 21st and I honestly didn't know or couldn't communicate to you what I would be doing when I was 40 years old. You know, when you're a kid, you don't think about, I wonder how things are going to be when I'm 40. But my mother-in-law bought me 
And it was a very different gift, but I ended up appreciating it so much. But she bought me a really expensive candle. And, you know, you think about, oh, I'll pick up a candle at Cracker Barrel or Walmart or something, and, you know, it smells good. But no, 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 this is, this is one of those candles where you can tell, like, the jar is very expensive. And everything that is inside of it is, is w- well-crafted and maybe even handcrafted. And even, even the wick looks nice. I'm like, I don't even want to set this thing on fire because the thing just looks pretty. But something that I did this morning is, and you could totally dis- dismiss this as completely weird, and we can talk about that later, but I walked into my office at about 7.30 this morning, and the lights were still out, and I was about to turn everything on and begin looking over the message notes and everything like that for this morning, and I looked over at the candle that was sitting on my desk, and I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here in the darkness for a second, and I'm going to go bum a few matches from Tori's office and I'm just going to light the candle and I'm going to sit and I'm going to look at it. And sure enough, you could tell that even lit, the candle looks really expensive. And so I'm just looking at the flame and it's one of those that has like a... a, a larger flame on it when you light it. You know what I'm talking about. It's not just like a a dim wick. No, the wick is in there. It's good. It's solid. And it's producing a flame. And it's lit up the darkness of my office. Because when we think about darkness, darkness is chaotic. But light is refreshing, or re- refreshing when it permeates a dark space. And so I just sat there looking at the candle, and, and this particular verse came to my mind. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In other words, this is communicating that Jesus is the source of God's light and salvation for the entire world. Jews and Gentiles alike. And the majority of us in this room, by the way, we're Gentiles. We are not ethnically Jewish people. We are are Gentiles. Those that have come to understand that Jesus is the one true God, the Messiah, the promised one. And he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, why do you think they marveled? As Simeon was communicating these things, why does the text reveal that they marveled? Everything Gabriel said to Mary, Mary had come to pass, and she understood that she'd given birth to the Son of the Most High God, yet she and Joseph may not have grasped that Jesus' ministry would extend to the entire world, Gentiles included. This is, this is the scope of Jesus' ministry 
and it's worldwide. And perhaps they hadn't thought of that yet. Perhaps they thought what was initially communicated to them was specifically for Jews only. And what Simeon has communicated is, no. No, this is for everyone. This is for the entire world. And so they haven't recognized the scope of that. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in, in, in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Listen to this. Commentators John Walverd and Roy Zuck Throughout his ministry, Jesus proclaimed that the only way to the kingdom, something the nation had long sought, was to follow him. The ones who did so would receive salvation. They would rise. But the ones who did not believe in him would not receive salvation. They would fall. These consequences would reveal what they thought about Mary's son. You know, I'm, a, I'm afraid that there is a growing confusion on what the gospel is and how we, as professing believers, actually articulate it, if we articulate the gospel at all. There's this book that I want to highly recommend to you. It's called The, the Discipleship Gospel by Bill Hull and Ben Sorbels. And it, and it walks through a, a lot of different variations of the gospel that we've kind of adopted into our churches as Americans and how a lot of them are false in such a way that some of them might just be straight up false. Some of them might contain a few things that are essential to the gospel, but not all things that are essential to the gospel. And so I want to give us a working definition this morning of what the gospel actually is and what it communicates. Because like I said, I fear that we as Christians aren't equipped with something that is necessary in order to communicate to others as we go about our business. Because most of us would, most of us would be comfortable saying that we are kind of uncomfortable at times when it comes to being able to provide verbal witness to the fact that we're believers. And so we have to have an understanding and be equipped with an understanding of what the gospel actually conveys. And so I, I want to offer up this particular definition. And if you're following along in the app, there are a lot of blanks to fill in. And I'll ask that it be kept up there for a while so that you can jot it down. But we're going to walk through this for a second. <coughs> Excuse me. The gospel is this. Okay, the kingdom of God has come through Jesus of Nazareth. He is Christ. 
God's one and only Son. He died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day according to the Scriptures. In His great love and by His amazing grace, God our Father saves everyone who repents of their sin, believes the gospel, and follows Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. When King Jesus returns on the last day, (coughs) the great day of judgment, everyone who followed him will enter the eternal kingdom of God. So we look at that definition and we see four declarative statements, okay? God's kingdom is here. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Most of us in here would be like, yeah, I'm on board with that completely. I believe that. But these four declarative statements are followed by three imperative statements. Three crucial statements that we have to understand and get right and implement into our lives as legitimate followers of Jesus. And I say followers of Jesus for a very specific reason. The three three imperative statements are repent of sin, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus. Some of us might think, you know, repentance, I, I got that down for the most part. There was a decision I made that, you know, pretty much solidified that deal. Belief, yeah, that's part of that. But what are we missing out on when it says follow Jesus? And like I said before, I, I want to give working definitions to what we actually believe these things to be. We already mentioned that salvation, yes, salvation is God's deliverance. But what about repentance? We've probably heard multiple definitions of repentance throughout the years, but may I suggest to you that repentance is a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a personality shift from the sinful path that you were taking to God, to His ways, to His command. Belief. Belief is the conviction that God is completely and totally trustworthy and reliable, not merely that He exists. Have I come to a place in my life where I believe that he is completely reliable, completely trustworthy? Not that I merely say, I believe in God. The acknowledgement that he exists. And finally, following. This unfortunately is where I think we get it wrong a lot. 
like legitimately following Jesus. Following Jesus involves doing what Jesus says, not just hearing it. In that book, The Discipleship Gospel, there's this one phrase that just sticks out so powerfully And Hull and Sobel says, there is no salvation apart from a life characterized by obedience. So we, we believe, we repent, and we follow Jesus with a lifestyle that is characterized by obeying the things that he commanded us to do and doing the things that we see Jesus do in the scriptures. Our lives as Christians have to be characterized by this. And so when it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in, in, in Israel. And as the quote mentioned before, the ones who did so would receive salvation. They would rise, but the ones who did not believe him would not receive salvation. They would fall. So there is no salvation apart from a life characterized by obedience. So my third and final question to us this morning is, am I clear on the gospel? Do I understand what the gospel means? Do I understand that I am to be equipped with a biblical definition of what the gospel commands of my life and what it commands of everyone's life who come into a relationship with Jesus? We as the church have the message, the principal message that the world needs to hear. And the American church is losing ground. And so we have to intentionally yield our lives to the Lordship of Christ in such a way to where we follow Him. And we understand what that means. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, and this will be familiar to us, but I pray it sits just a little bit differently today. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is very serious about who he is. And he requires his followers to be just as serious about who he is. So am I clear on the gospel? 
Am I captivated by God's salvation? Am I confident in the waiting? I pray that these questions would be something that we consider throughout this week. I know they've hit me personally like a ton of bricks. There's a lot of things that I need, need to consider as I begin to, to process these even more beyond today. But I legitimately believe that if we want to see a work of God in Lost Mountain Baptist Church, we have to legitimately yield ourselves to Christ in such a way to where, you know what? I repent, I believe, and I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow you until my physical eyes see the salvation when Jesus comes again. <clears throat> Can we pray together? Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. Thank you.